Tees it up, and a save is made by Bobrovsky. Nelson, Barzell with the open net, and he scores! Hi, and welcome to the Locked On Islanders podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Gil Martin. I'm an Islanders columnist and historian. And I wrote the book Ice Wars, which covers the complete history of the Islanders' rivalry with the Rangers from 1972 to the modern era. All right, welcome everybody to the Tuesday edition of the Locked On Islanders podcast. We have got plenty to discuss right now and a little bit later on in today's show. We will be joined by author Matthew Blitner. He is the writer of a great new book called Unforgettable New York Islanders Games and Moments from the Press Box, Ice, and Front Office. We'll talk to him both about the book uh, and a little bit about the season and where the Islanders are when things hopefully resume uh, and what they need going forward. So uh, we'll talk to to Matthew a little bit later on in the show, and we'll have more of the interview with him coming up on tomorrow's show, so make sure you catch that as we break down uh, a whole lot of things going on in and around the world of the Islanders. Meanwhile, more news coming with regard to this suspension of play. We will, of course, talk about that, and we'll talk a little bit also about how the Islanders might benefit in some ways from this stoppage that is always, uh, you know, you got to try to look for the silver lining. And of course, we have a great look back at a big Rangers-Islanders game on this date in Islanders history that includes a hat trick for a player who you don't expect necessarily to be at the top of the hat trick list for the New York Islanders. So lots to get to on today's show. Again, if you want to join the conversation, you've got a question, a comment, uh, something you'd like us to discuss, you can send us an email. The show's email address, LockedOnIslanders at gmail.com. You can also follow the show on Twitter and contact us that way, the Twitter address, at LockedOnIsles. And you can follow me, your host, Gil Martin, on Twitter at IceWars, N-Y-R-V-S-N-Y-I. And we will keep you up to date on everything going on in and around the world of the New York Islanders. All right, so let's get started on the latest information we have with regard to the suspension of play. And the NHL basically came out with a message that they sent to the players on Monday, and it essentially allowed the players to return home to their place of permanent residence. Now, up until now, the league had told the players to self-quarantine in and around where the team plays. So, you know, if you were, let's say, a New York Islander, but you came from Ontario, the instructions the league originally gave was, you know, don't practice, 
no organized team activities, but self-quarantine and stay in Brooklyn or Long Island. Basically, that was the instruction. Now, the league is basically telling them, you know what, you can return home. And that doesn't just include players from, you know, Canada and the United States. It also includes players who are from Europe and, you know, that essentially indicates that the league realizes that we're not going to be resuming practice and games anytime in the very near future. Now, according to a published report by uh, Frank Saravalli of TSN up in Canada, this was in response to the U.S. Center for Disease Control that recommended on Sunday of this past week, so two days ago, that any gathering of more than 50 people not take place and be canceled over the next eight weeks. So you're talking about mid-May when that recommendation is going to expire. Now, look, things could change between now and then, but that's what the CDC was recommending, eight weeks of no gathering, which basically means that holding practice and holding games, even if you're talking about games without fans, just having, you know, two rosters full of players, the referees, the, uh, you know, off-ice officials and and a little bit of security and, and the you know, the, the crew to maintain the ice, the Zamboni crew, what have you, that would be more than 50 people. And just the two-team rosters alone comes close to 50 people. So... If the CDC is saying, hey, the next eight weeks, that shouldn't happen, you're talking about, you know, mid-May. And then the question becomes, the longer the players are off, the more time they will need to skate and practice and get back into shape. And then the question becomes, you know, do you pick up the season where it left off? I don't think that's likely. Do you go straight to an expanded playoff, uh, you know, play where more than 16 teams possibly make the postseason or you have play-in games? Or do you just start the playoffs immediately? You take the top eight teams in each conference, whether it be by total points or by point percentage, and just say, hey, let's resume. All of these things are possibilities. We don't know yet what it is that the league is going to decide. And quite honestly, the league hasn't made any long-term decisions yet. At the end of the day, what happens next with regard to the spread of the coronavirus? How many people are infected? How quickly uh, this, this pandemic starts to peter out? And, and we get it more under control. All of these are factors that will go a long way to determining when and if the National Hockey League can resume play in 2019-2020. It remains to be seen what the league is going to decide to do, but we will keep you posted. We will have the very latest on all of that. And quite honestly, looking forward to the resumption when it actually does take place. So that's the latest. Looks like the league is preparing for a longer period of time. 
according to the article, that means that the earliest the NHL could open training camps, that would be the last week of April, and then May 11th would be the earliest that uh, play could resume. So just to let you know what that eight-week timetable means as far as resuming practice and resuming games. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we will talk a little bit about some ways in which this layoff may help the New York Islanders. Plus, we'll have this date in Islanders history and our interview with Matthew Blitner. Lots more to get to right here on the Locked On Islanders podcast. All right, we are back here at the Locked On Islanders podcast. Look, one way that this situation, this layoff, really could help the New York Islanders, and and it'll affect all teams, but I I think in the Islanders' case in particular, it could be a big difference maker, and that is getting players healthy again. You look at, for example, the fourth line, and Cal Clutterbuck missed significant time, did come back, but really hadn't gotten back into uh, the same kind of shape that we expected him to be ready to play, Uh, and, and Clutterbuck is the kind of guy who really does, you know, need to play a physical game to be effective. He really wasn't able to do that the way he likes to do it, and giving him this extra time off will certainly help. Casey Zizekas, same thing. You know, Zizekas has missed 20 games this season due to an assortment of injuries, and this hiatus, if it goes another three, four, five weeks, whatever it might be, certainly gives him time to heal, and Adam Pellick, you know, originally when the reports came out, and they said Adam Pellick is gone for the rest of the season, but might be able to come back if the Islanders make a long playoff run. Well, now, if the season resumes, let's say, after six to eight weeks, maybe Adam Pellick is able to come back toward the end of the regular season, or maybe uh, you know, if the Islanders make the playoffs and there are playoffs, he's able to come back and be ready to start when the playoffs get underway. And certainly having the fourth line completely healthy and having Adam Pellick back in the lineup gives the New York Islanders depth. It gives them uh, a lineup that certainly can be more effective than what we've seen lately because Injuries clearly have been one of the reasons that the New York Islanders' play fell off after the team's very strong start. So getting those guys healthy again is certainly a positive that could result. And I think the other thing that really could be a positive for the Islanders and their fans, and let's face it, the the other aspect is this. The New York Islanders were in a slump. 0-3-4 in their last seven games. Having this break will allow the team time to regroup. It will allow the team time to get back into the swing of things and be ready to play hockey uh, without that slump weighing on them the same way that it would have had play continued. The momentum of the slump, the negative momentum that it represents, will be behind them. And overall, that would be a very good thing. It'll almost feel like a fresh start when and if play continues. And that, Islander fans, is definitely a net positive. 
All right, this date in Islanders history, Nassau Veterans Memorial Coliseum, March 17th. 1990 Rangers and Islanders, and when these two teams meet, always a very, very good game. It was the Rangers getting on the board first, Darren Turcott getting his 30th goal of the year, assist to Kevin Miller at 358, and the Rangers had the early lead. But the Islanders do come back. Randy Wood, Gets his 24th goal of the year. Pat LaFontaine, the lone helper, at 17.04. And after 20 minutes, the game was all tied at 1-1. The goaltenders, by the way, John Van Beesbrook for the Rangers. Mark Fitzpatrick in between the pipes for the Islanders. And again, after 20 minutes, a 1-1 hockey game. In the second period, the Islanders get on the board 48 seconds in. Pat LaFontaine, his 49th goal of the year from Derek King and Brad Lauer. And the Islanders had regained the lead at 2-1. But the Rangers come back. First of all, Alan Kerr of the Islanders and Kelly Kissio head off for coincidental roughing minors at 2-21. Then Chris King... No, not the Islanders broadcaster, but the former Rangers winger. Chris King, his fifth from Kevin Miller and Darren Turcott at 3.39, and the game was all even at two. But that tie game was short-lived. The Islanders regained the lead at 4.46 as Pat Flatley gets his 16th. Pat LaFontaine and goalie Mark Fitzpatrick with the helpers and the Islanders had a 3-2 advantage. And then Brent Sutter makes it a 4-2 Islander lead. His 26th goal from Mick Vakoda and Gerald Diddick at 16:06 at the end of two periods. It was the Islanders 4 and the Rangers 2. But in the third period, the Rangers take advantage of an Islanders penalty and get back into the hockey game. Gerald Diddick off for holding at 8. 59, and it's Mike Gartner, the future Hall of Famer, getting his 39th goal of the year from Darren Turcott at 10:20, and suddenly it's a one-goal game again. But the Islanders put it out of reach at 16:05. Brent Sutter, his 27th from Flatley and David Volick, and then with 34 seconds left in the third period. The Rangers pull Van Beesbrook, and Brent Sutter completes his hat trick, his 28th of the year, unassisted. Final score in this one, Islanders 6 and the Rangers 3. Islanders with 39 shots on goal. Meanwhile, the Rangers held to just 28. Mark Fitzpatrick makes 25 saves. As for Brent Sutter, three goals on a team leading seven shots. Other multiple-point games, Pat LaFontaine, one goal, and uh, two assists on this night. And uh, Pat Flatley, one goal and one assist on this night. Those are the multiple-point scorers for the New York Islanders. Islanders downing the Rangers at the Nassau Coliseum, 6-3 to three on this date in Islanders history, March 17th. 1990.
All right, we will step away right now. When we return, we'll be joined by author and hockey writer Matthew Blitner to talk about his book, Unforgettable New York Islanders, Games and Moments from the Press Box, Ice, and Front Office. More to come right here on the Locked On Islanders podcast. All right, welcome back to the Locked On Islanders podcast. Right now, it's my pleasure to welcome in author Matthew Blitner to talk about his new book, Unforgettable New York Islanders Games Moment and uh, and Moments from the Press Box Ice and Front Office. Matthew, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Gil. It's a pleasure, and I look forward to our discussion. Tell me uh, a little bit about this book and and what inspired you to write it. Well, I've been a credentialed writer covering the Islanders, Devils, and yes, the Rangers. Since the 2015-17 season, I started out with the hockey maven Stan Fischler. And as anyone who's ever heard Stan Fischler's name, especially around the fans, know he's written over 100 books at this point. So, you know, when you're around him and working with him, you sort of get the bug at some point to, you know, not just write articles, but to also write a book. Uh, last year, at the start of the 18-19 season, I was covering the Islanders and the Rangers and a little devil, and the Rangers were having their 25th anniversary of their 94 Cup, and I wanted to come out with a book for it. I tossed some ideas around, and eventually the idea for Unforgettable Rangers, Games and Moments from the Press Box, you know, that one stuck, uh, that one unstuck, and it really, uh, you know, it sort of caught on at that point, uh, being able to have an alternate view of stories. You know, everyone always has these stories from, players, players, former players, current players. No one ever really brings the stories from the writers and broadcasters and everyone else who covers games and stuff. And, you know, everyone, whether they watch games on TV, listen to games on the radio, read about games online or in newspapers, magazines, they always end up having favorites of, you know, who their favorite broadcaster is, who their favorite writer is but they never really get to know much about those individuals. So I figured it was about time to take the track of finding out more about each of those people and bring their stories to life. How is it that you ended up choosing the people uh, who ended up participating in this book? Well, I knew of some of them, you know, personally, whether it be Alan Trader, Arthur Staple, Brian Thompson, Stan Fischler, uh, Shannon Hogan, and Brendan Burke. You know, I've worked around those people for the better part of the last four seasons. So they were given. And then I really wanted to capture as much of the Islanders history as I could. I mean, they go back to 1972. So most, if not all, people should still be alive and coherent uh, to that have been around the team in some way, shape, or form. And so I just, you know, I asked around certain people who they thought, you know, other media members who they thought should be involved with this because, Again, I only go back four years, and, you know, people who were covering the team in the 80s obviously know uh, a lot more people who were around the team then than I would. And so, you know, that led me to guys like Barry Marcel and Pat Calabria. Obviously, I know Larry Brooks from my time at the Rangers. And then that also led to, you know, being put in touch with Holy Chester Third and Brad Boris. And it really just sort of snowballed from there. And, you know, I managed to get... Ed Westfall and Bob Nystrom, and it was really just sort of, 
you know, as the word got out there, more and more people were intrigued and more more connections of mine would put me in touch with people and eventually got to the 23 people who I interviewed. I noticed you 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 mentioned Ed Westfall, and I know the uh, the game that he mentioned is his greatest memory, and it really was probably the first uh, you know part of that first Islanders playoff run back in 1975, and uh, you know the Islanders completed what was then a miraculous comeback, only the second time in NHL history that a team came back from a three nothing series deficit to win it. And Westfall had the only goal in that game. What what was it like talking to Eddie Westfall, and 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 what did he recall about it? Well, he had some great memories. All right, he he was really laughing uh, about a lot of the stuff, you know, just as he recounted how he had felt when he first went from the Bruins to the Islanders. And then, you know, he really loved his time there with the Islanders. And one thing that really stood out to him, since again, there's not much action in the game, being a one nothing game. Right. He tells the story how in the locker room after the game, you know, all the players are exhausted. It's, you know, this miraculous comeback is now complete. And he ends up taking quite a long time to get changed, showered, all that stuff. And by the time he's ready to leave, all the teammates are gone. So what is he to do at that point? And he walks by and Phil Apps, who's with the Penguins at the time, and they had known each other because they'd both been around the lead for quite a while. You know, asked him, Where, where's your teammates? And he told them they must have already gone out and everything. So Apps invited Westfall to come out with the Penguins players. So Westfall went with Apps and the Penguins players and everything to ooh, some bar. And they ended up, you know, going out that night. And there he was, the guy responsible for the Penguins' demise, sitting there having drinks with the team that he just eliminated. <laughs> Ironic. No it only happened. It. it only happened to him. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, that, that playoff run in 1975 really put the Islanders on the map in and around Long Island. All of a sudden, you know, they weren't the hapless Islanders anymore. They were a team that was young and up and coming. And, and uh, you know, Ed Westfall was their first captain and you know, great that you were able to get him to share that memory. And then, of course, he was a broadcaster with the team for a number of years as well. Yes, uh, he had a lot of games that, you know, he really didn't want to pick one in particular game from his broadcasting career because he thought there were just too many that he could pick from and he wouldn't do any of them justice. But he really, you know, was the first great Islander uh, color commentator. You know, he he really set in forth the full lineage. Uh, the Islanders have been blessed with both great play-by-play and color commentators throughout their history. So he's, you know, he went from being the first captain to doing great in the broadcast booth, and he was Mr. Islander as far as I'm concerned. Although I think Butch Doreen might want to uh, have something to say about that. <laughs> yeah, and Butch has been with the team on and off, more on since 1980 in, in almost every capacity, really. Uh, out of all the stories that you were able to get for this book, which one surprised you the most or, or, or uh, you know, something that you weren't expecting? Well, all the stories were unique in their own way, even for the ones that have, are about the same game. Uh, so I wouldn't really call any of them surprises to me. They might be surprises to the readers. But 
definitely. Uh, so Larry Brooks, who was starting out as a beat writer for the Post at the time, he was covering the Islanders in the mid to late 60s. And Pat Calabria, who was the Islander beat writer for Newsday at that same time, they were both fairly early in their journalist careers. Obviously, Brooks is still, you know, going, and most people t- recognize his work with the Rangers. He was well-deserving of the Elmer Ferguson Award in the Hall of Fame. Calabria was around for a long time. And they both were around the same age as a lot of the Islander players at that time. And while they did their jobs professionally, no one's taking that away. You know, it just, their stories highlight how different everything was back then because they used to go out drinking with the players after the game, celebrating games and stuff, occasionally even according to probably double dating with some of the players. And, you know, they both joked around a little bit that, you know, when they would enter the locker room after a game, especially Friday or Saturday night out on Long Island, their first question often wasn't to a player about, you know, so what did you think of that bowl sport or anything like that? It was, so boys, where are we going out tonight? <laughs> and again, everything was kept professional, you know, not to try to make everyone think that people weren't doing their jobs properly because they were. But it's, you know, you would never see that nowadays, the way the players are protected by the public relations staff and stuff. That type of thing just doesn't happen anymore. But that was just really great stories because they got to know the players not just as players in uniform, but they got to know them off the ice as people and got to know their families and everything. And that really led to friendships that they still have with a number of the players. As Larry Brooks told me, you know, he still talks to Mike Bossy uh, quite a bit. And so, you know, those are friendships and connections and relationships that last forever at that point. And that doesn't happen uh, if that was happening nowadays when you're just, your only relationship is talking to a player in the locker room after the game for two minutes. All right, we will have more of our conversation with Matthew Blitner on tomorrow's show. He'll talk a little bit more about his book, and we'll talk a little bit about the Islanders of 2019-2020, what happens from here, and what he sees as the team's biggest needs going forward. Hope you've enjoyed today's show. That wraps up this edition of Locked On Islanders. Now, tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Locked On NHL for a national perspective of all things happening in the world of hockey. Have a great day. I'm your host, Gil Martin. We'll be back tomorrow with more Locked On Islanders.